The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. All right, thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking about advocating for accessible prescription labeling. Uh, I'm Charlotte Glass with Envision America, and... um, What's really new this time around is we're going to be talking about language access as a whole. So we have um, some guests today that are going to be talking about accessible prescription labeling for the blind and visually impaired, as well as language access. Uh, Three states so far, Oregon, Nevada, and Tennessee, have passed legislation for accessible prescription labeling for the blind. And two of those states, Oregon and Nevada, have passed legislation for Uh, dual language prescription labeling for those who have limited English proficiency. Today, all my guests are from Washington State, um, whose bill this spring did not pass, but who have successfully persuaded the Washington Pharmacy Quality Assurance Commission to pursue rulemaking anyway. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the rulemaking process, um, as well as the legislative process, and a little history here on how all these people got involved. And then uh, we're going to open it up to questions at the end. So, and if we could have, it looks like Aditya joined and he used my, the link that I provided him instead of the one Judy sent. So if you guys could promote him to panelist um, and make sure that he's unmuted when it's his turn, that would be great. All right. So, um, what we're going to do next is I'm going to allow each of the guests to uh, introduce themselves. And this is just a brief introduction. And then they're each going to tell a little bit more later on about their experience. Doreen, you want to start? Sure. My name is Doreen Cornwell. I'm co-chair of the Washington Council of the Blind Advocacy Committee. And I have some experience working with interpretation and language access issues. Um, And I really want to thank you, Sharla, for welcoming us and welcoming people from the Health Equity Circle to this panel, because the way the collaboration has come together is really important and powerful. Yes, thank you for being here. And Judy, you want to go next? Certainly. Hi, I'm Judy Brown. I'm also from the Washington Council of the Blind. I am the other co-chair for advocacy. I am also on our legislative committee. And I also happen to still be a full-time working nurse, so accessible labeling is very important to me, not only as a legally blind person, but also as a healthcare provider. Great. Yeah, thank you. And then, Aditya, you want to go, and then after you introduce yourself, just tell us a little bit about Health Equity Circle and what you guys have done, and kind of just a history to where we're at right now. Sure. Yeah, and thank you, Charlotte, for inviting me. Um, to this. Uh, my name is Aditya Vegaraju. I'm a third-year medical student at Washington State University, an ex-co-chair of the Language Access Team, and now the board president of the Health Equity Circle. And um, so for some context, the Health Equity Circle is a nonprofit organization uh, made up by students, run by students, and um, is dedicated to, towards addressing health equity issues in various contexts of our lives. Uh, We have students from nursing, from medicine, undergraduate students, students from social work in various disciplines. And uh, it's a very interdisciplinary effort uh, to address some of these issues. Uh, For example, um, uh, some of the issues we work on are language access access issues. We work on 
harm reduction. Um, we work with some local organizations to help people experiencing homelessness and other health equity problems that are happening across the nation. So specifically what we've done, um, as at least in my perspective, as the Expo Chair of the Language Access Team um, in Washington, uh, the, for the past two years, our team has been focused on um, having conversations with local organizations regarding um, issues or problems they've faced with uh, language access in, in the healthcare environment. And so we asked, you know, we asked unions, we asked patient advocacy groups, um, we asked healthcare organizations, like, what is the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome? And as you can imagine, we've heard a lot of stories and a lot of issues, but something that just kept coming up in a, uh, over and over again is this continuity of care issue. Um, like, you know, you might have some access or some interpretation services available during some parts of your visit, but there are some parts where there's just completely absent. And one of those parts of the healthcare visit is when you go to pick up your prescription from the pharmacy. And that's something that we identified as a pretty big issue. If you can't read your medication, if you don't know how to take it, you know, obviously you can see how that would spiral out of control. And so that's kind of how we uh, came to this idea of, you know, requiring translation of prescription labels in Washington. And there's been precedents for this in Oregon, Nevada, um, or Oregon, New York, California, and most recently Nevada. And so uh, we had a dis initial discussions with um, Representative Eileen Cody, who was the co-chair of the healthcare uh, committee in the House at the time. And, you know, based on those discussions, uh, she, she felt very passionate about this issue and, you know, really helped us uh, give us resources and um, pushed us to meet the right people in order to make this happen. Uh, we kept on building connections with uh, local community groups like the American, the Council, of the, the Washington Council of the Blind, and the um, Federation as well. And um, a lot of local organizations came came to the to make a coalition to help bring this bill um, all the way to the last possible step. We got it through the Senate Healthcare Committee, uh, but unfortunately, the bill was deemed too controversial to put on to the floor at the last minute. Um, so now we are, um, our team is regrouped and debriefed from this and um, have remained committed to uh, seeing this go through to getting translation of labels in Washington. And so our current goal is to work uh, with the government agency, uh, the Pharmacy Quality Commission to develop rule, rules to make translation of prescription labels um, something that happens in pharmacies in Washington. All right, thank you so much for that kind of background to what how Health Equity Circle has, you know, for, come to talk in this conversation with us. Um, and I think let's have Judy talk a little bit more about then what role uh, ACB has played in the access for the visually impaired side. Okay, thank you very much. Um, sort of as a background, um, last fall, as part of being uh, on the advocacy committee for Washington Council of the Blind, we were contacted by one of our members who was struggling with getting large print labels consistently from her pharmacy. They would tell her, yes, they can offer it, but 
it would take them at least three days. She could not pre-order it ahead of time. So many times if there was a holiday, as is coming up soon with the 4th of July, so it's a Monday holiday, they don't do anything over the weekend. So she could get her meds as much as a week later than when she actually needs them. So sometimes she was missing her medications. And that was just for lack of large print. We're not even talking Braille or alternate labels, just large print. And as uh, a nurse, I found that appalling. And I had a personal story that when I first lost my vision about five years ago, I, the first time I went to refill just my hypertension medicine, I went to my local pharmacy and I thought, well, you know, this is, I can get large print labeling. This should not be an issue. It was a huge issue. I could not get it. I could not get them to agree to do anything to assist me. They had no options at all to offer me. And this is a large chain. This isn't a small pharmacy. This is a large chain pharmacy. And so I faked it. I go, well, I know what my medicine is, but I'd forgotten that we had slightly changed what was going on because at the time I was going into the stress of losing my vision plus now trying to take my medication. And I overdosed myself as a nurse, legally blind, couldn't read my label, overdosed myself. Not good. So when this issue came around again last fall as part of advocacy, I latched right onto this. We did some research and found that there had been some other attempts by the Washington Council of the Blind to get legislation passed, and it just really hadn't flown. At that point, we didn't know what was going on with the health equity circle. But I knew that as a nurse, that all of these medical entities, pharmacies, nurses, doctors, all are governed by their own quality assurance commissions. So I decided to look up who was running the pharmacy commission, sent them a formal email and asked them to make rules after I looked at the laws here in Washington state. There was nothing to stop the pharmacy commission actually since their inception to go ahead and make rules other than just to make sure that there's the correct information on the label. They could make other rules to make the labels more accessible. So that was the initial um, petition that we put in actually in October. They finally accepted to work on that petition in December meeting of last year. In January, thanks to Sharla, we heard about the health equity circle. So we reached out to them because we thought, Let's help work on this law to make this a more collaborative thing. We also reached out to the National Federation of the Blind Washington president because we wanted the two major blind organizations in Washington state to work together in this issue. And we also feel, well, I feel, and so I know Doreen feels as well, that the language portion of this is very important as well. There are many, many people that not only have visual difficulties, but do not speak and read English as their primary language. So this just seemed to work well with not only our goals, but as my personal goal as a healthcare provider and to make things better for patient safety and just equity as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was so beautiful the way that it came together and, you know, previously it was mentioned Eileen Cody was the, uh, was a committee chair. I, I remember at the hearing her saying, um, I, I just was appalled. Like I didn't realize that this wasn't already a law. And she said it was, it's shameful um, that we haven't already taken care of this. And she was such a huge advocate. 
And I think that made a huge difference in, in rallying a lot of people. Doreen, you want to add anything? Sure. I'm going to add a couple different things. Um, the president of the NFB of Washington lives in Eileen Cody's district. So I think that probably also helped. Um, I wanted to say a couple things about my perspective dealing with also with midlife vision loss. Before I lost my vision, before I before I became legally blind, I, I have had work doing technical support and programming in a healthcare HMO setting. So I'm aware, and I kind of stopped writing code when I needed to start using JAWS, but I didn't stop being aware of both the cost and health outcome issues associated with different um, populations, like for instance, diabetes or uh, diabetes being a very big one for many people in the blind community um, or the importance of language access. And I'm going to tell you two stories, one very short and one a little bit longer and more personal about language access. So there's a big million dollar law. I don't know how big the lawsuit was about one bad translation in Florida where someone mistook the word intoxicado, which in Spanish means poisoned. And they thought it was a false cognate for drunk. Um, and that I don't know the exact citation or the dollar value, but that led to a very big lawsuit and hopefully some changes in progress for myself. My brother-in-law is from Guatemala and my sister has their family have a lot of Guatemalan friends. And one time my sister was asking me about an eye pressure reading and in English, 15 um, or 15 in Spanish, it sounds a lot like 50 or 50 in um, Spanish, but um, 15 is a very good number for eye pressure and 50 is a very high, very bad, go straight to your doctor number. So those are just two really simple cases. Uh, when we were doing work on the legislation, I asked a couple of friends of mine who were recently retired primary care doctors for um, stories and one, she, one, and one woman wrote back, she talked about her father-in-law who's got macular degeneration and wound up in the ER because he overdosed on his blood pressure medication and equally important, a patient from Somalia who had basically the same issue. Um, so what I'd also like to say um, this morning, I was looking at the list of structured negotiation agreements that um, Lainey Feingold is a really powerful advocate for um, non-visual access has been involved with. And to me, some of what we're talking about, people with who speak foreign languages have the same rights all over the country and technologies evolving to make it really easy to deliver good quality translations. Um, and so I see this as trying to put different pieces together. We're going to focus on Washington because that's the rulemaking. And honestly, listening to the legislators try to debate some of the details, I'm glad it went to rulemaking because I think we're going to get a better, more um, resilient, versatile response from working together with the pharmacy, the Washington State Pharmacy Association, than if the legislators had tried to spell out in minute detail what they hoped would happen, what they thought should happen. Uh, there was just a few moments in there. It was very exciting at the end of the session when the vote could, the bill didn't come to the floor, but it was in, in like the last stage before bills come to the floor. 
And so I'm hoping that we can move the forward, move the work forward right now. Some of the work that's going on is just research about how different rules have been done in different states. And like I say, this morning, I was looking at the different structured negotiation agreements that already exist so that so that when we there's different issues that come up, for example, one of our members um, had a I was having no problems getting labels that were readable by script talk until her insurer contracted with a pharmacy benefit manager and the pharmacy benefit manager didn't didn't even think about ex, uh, prescription labels. And so um, so our member had to appeal the denial and they that once she appealed the denial they went, of course, we'll pay for it this time, but um, there's a there's a do better next time piece about how that particular insurance agreement gets negotiated. And so I think that's another way of saying there's lots of ways to come at the access, better access to accessible labels piece. And there are, it, it's not like there are people in Washington who are quite happy with their label access and I don't want to screw that up, but there's a whole lot of people who either can't read and don't know they need it or um, don't don't read in the first place. And that's actually one of the important points when we've been talking about language accesses. We've been specifically saying language about people who are blind, low vision, or print impaired, uh, because that's going to reach a whole lot of people. And my, like, healthcare bean counter brain says this can make a huge difference to health outcomes and, of course, costs. Yeah. And that was one of the things when when uh, Envision America was looking at uh, the dual language label, I was also really excited when they said, but we're also going to do all 24 languages on the script talk label. And I was like, that's so amazing. Um, some of the nursing advocates in Oregon who were working on the Oregon law, they were like, you know, we work with immigrants and refugees and a lot of them are not literate in their native language let alone in english because they came from impoverished countries and you know were (laughs) lived their life you know under tyranny or whatever and didn't have the chance to you know a lot of women don't have a chance to be educated in other countries and um so having that audible translation was like such a just an amazing opportunity to be able to provide access for them so anybody else want to add anything on this on this um, before we go on to the next part? Well, I did want to speak just real briefly because Doreen reminded me of something. It's, as far as the actual cost of this type of inaccessibility at this point, if you are somebody that happened to take, say, either too much or too little of your hypertensive medication, that it was a bad enough thing that caused you to go to the emergency room. Just walking in the door of any one particular emergency room can be seven to $10,000 just doing that. If your blood pressure got low enough that you couldn't even do that, had to call an ambulance, that's around $800 for an ambulance trip one way. Then if they decide to admit you, and it may not be immediately apparent that you've got a low blood pressure 
because you took too much of your hypertensive medication when going through and because you may not as the patient understand that that's what you've done because you read your label or couldn't read the label and didn't fully understand what the dosage should, should be. So we're doing blood work now. We're doing a lot of other things and we're going to admit you for observation because we're not quite sure what happened. Just on the patient floor, just admission to a patient floor, depending on the hospital, that can be a $3,000 per day charge. If you get admitted to the ICU, we're up to $15,000. So we are talking just in this state alone, millions of dollars of savings by making medication labels accessible to everybody. And if you're somebody that just happens to use reading glasses to be able to read the small print, in that particular uh, manner, you are also visually impaired and you do need this service as well. So those are my comments. Yeah. And Etias, did you want to add anything? No, I think I, I, I guess I do have a, a couple stories to add that kind of um, resonated with me throughout this whole process. I think one of the big ones um, was when you were talking with the interpreters union about the work they do um, with their patients and they mentioned how, you know, they only, they really only paid for the amount of time they spend with the patient in the visit. And so anything they do before or after the visit um, is not, they're not paid for it. Uh, but even still, like, you know, sometimes they would take patients who they felt didn't really understand what the physician said regarding their medications to the pharmacy with them and then help translate the directions of use. And, you know, that kind of hit me. I was like, you know, it's really great that they're doing this, but we, it shouldn't really be something that's just left to the goodwill of others um, for you to get, you know, the quality health care. And that's kind of what kept me passionate about this issue even now. And, you know, I think uh, I the, the story Judy mentioned about uh, intoxication versus intoxicado, very common. And another one is um, ONSE for 11 or once daily. That's a very, <laughs> that's a very uh, common misunderstanding and it can lead to very drastic um, outcomes because there's a difference between taking a medication once in 11 times. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Judy made a really great point too, is, you know, a lot of us, I mean, even if you're English proficient and sighted, when you go to the pharmacy, you know, a lot of times you're not feeling good. You might have a crying toddler with you. You might, you might be picking up five different medications for your sick child. And even if they give you counsel, counter counseling, you're going to rely on reading the label when you get home because that's just a lot of information to take in. And if you have those other circumstances with surrounding you at the same time, it's just too much. Like nobody can recall all that accurately and then you know add on top of that if it's not your native language or you don't understand English at all um, you know there's all those factors like people do rely on reading their label um, and so it needs to be accessible yeah I, I guess I want to I, I guess I want to push a couple more points Charlotte I know you've got a couple more things no, we're, we're got, we got plenty we're, we're got, we got plenty of time okay yeah. so um, I have enough vision to be able to tell that the pharmacy I used to go to before anyway um they did have a sign up that was in not very big print and about waist level that said in several languages, you have a right. If you need an interpreter, there's a phone number you can call or something. And I'm like, okay, that's not a terrible step. But like Charlotte said, if you're at the pharmacy, you're not feeling well, or you have 
toddlers or you're taking care of an elder and um, you hear this once in your language and maybe you write it down or record it, but maybe you don't, you, you, need, you need easy access to remember it, remind it yourself of it. You know, to me, this is the same access over and over is a, a thing I enjoy as a native English speaker and not the same thing that happens to anybody who has to remember all of that. Um, one time I had an interpreting client um, and she, uh, she, they were sort of middle-aged and they had met online and it was a very sweet romance, but she was worried about how she was going to support her husband and his medical needs, not knowing English very well. And so I think the ask the question of, well, what all problems are we trying to solve is a kind of bigger, it's a important way to come at this situation. And I'm really interested in seeing what technology can do, seeing how we can get different insurance partners to realize the value of doing this and to not lose track of the, the people piece. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's really what informs and drives all of it. And, um, you know, that's, it takes both the provider and the patient together to have that good health literacy, you know, to really understand what's going on and drive forward, um, the, the whole care process, you know. All right. Well, we, so that's kind of a, our case study as to what's going on in Washington. And, you know, like we mentioned before, there's been um, other laws in Oregon and Nevada already. So they have their own uh, stories to tell as well. So uh, in Oregon, we had ACB uh, promoting that language, or, I mean, the um, audible label bill. And then, um, like I mentioned before, there was a group of nursing students who promoted their, um, language access bill. And I, I mean, really it's inspiring to go and to read all their research and testimony and everything because, you know, they all, all the students had experience working in, in the clinic, um, with immigrants and refugees because it was their, um, public health, uh, class that they they did this in and it's so inspiring and they even had a commendation by their um legislators about how there was like one of the best testimonies and presentations that they had ever had so um you know if you ever want to be inspired we can you know i think on uh stay safe rx i think i have a link to their to their work and stuff like that and they're continuing to reach out to to other nursing organizations and stuff to let them know that, you know, that this, this is really what we want to do and how you can do it and where you can go. So what I want to move into a little bit, and I mean, I welcome all of your input as we go along, but I want to talk a little bit more about um, rulemaking versus legislation. And I know the, the stories that you guys told kind of highlighted that you started with legislation, but now we're to the board of pharmacy. And, um, you know, this is playing out very differently in every state. So in Oregon and Nevada, they had legislation that it went to the board of the pharmacy and the boards, um, you know, did the entire rulemaking process. And so I want to talk about the rulemaking process for those who aren't familiar with that. And then, um, we got to step back and, you know, talk about legislation a little bit as well for those who 
want to go that route. But um, I know a lot of people um, have tried to go the legislation route and found that they couldn't find a sponsor or they found someone who was willing to sponsor, but the sponsor's like, there's no way it's going to pass because of the politics in our state. Um, And so I've been encouraging people to look into this, you know, just going straight to your board of pharmacy, um, finding out if they have in your state the, the, you know, the right to do the rules. Um, Most states, they have the authority already to do the rulemaking process. I think there's a few states where they kind of have to have a mandate from the legislature, but I would think for the most, most of them, they already have the authority to do this. And so this is just another possibility of um, doing your advocacy work in your state if you, if you can't do, go the legislative route. The, the bonus of doing the legislative route is that it is a statute then. I mean, it is a law. The Board of Pharmacy has to create the rules and, and finish the process and return to the legislature with a final product. Um, and like we're seeing in Nevada, you know, they came up with their final product and the sponsor and, and some of us that were kind of in the advocacy team were like this, there's too many loopholes in this. And so, you know, we went to the, the sponsor of the legislative sponsor, the assemblywoman went to the legislative oversight committee and was like, eh, I think you better send it back. You know, and that's what they did. So the board's going to be tweaking some of those loopholes because it just made it so much, it made it a little bit ambiguous. And we want it to be really clear that the text has to be on the bottle and not some extra sheet that's handed to the person. So what rulemaking is, is um, the board of pharmacy has the authority to create rules that pharmacies are required to abide by. And usually they're enforced either through an audit process or through the the visits that the Board of Pharmacy makes randomly or annually to each pharmacy. And then depending on the state, you know, or the law, there might be um, a penalty or a fee or fine or, you know, some kind of warning um, given telling them that, you know, you're not abiding by all the rules and you need to fix this. So that's kind of where it comes from. Um, The legislature can tell the Board of Pharmacy to do it. Um, The governor can give an executive order. There can be um, a judicial order or a court order to create rules or to edit rules. And another way is for someone from the public to request a rulemaking hearing. Uh, And so that's what happened with, you know, Judy going to the board. And did the Health Equity Circle also formally request? Uh, no, the Washington State Pharmacy Association requested right before legislation. Okay, so the Washington State Pharmacy Association was, you know, a part of the rulemaking or the legislative process. They were testifying. I don't know. They had some strong support, but they also had a lot of. They were leery. <laughs> so. I thought it was interesting that they are the ones who requested it before anybody else got to it. But well, mm-hmm. interestingly, they re- they put their request for rulemaking after we submitted ours, like several months later. I think that they were starting to see that 
regardless of what happened legislatively, that there was going to be a rulemaking process happening. And our rulemaking request was put on hold during the legislative session because the pharmacy commission wanted to see what would happen with the law. Basically, so they would find out, like, what are we going to be forced to do? And um, as opposed to going ahead and keep working on doing the right thing. And with that in mind, the pharmacy association, which for, for people getting muddled up in who's who, that's the group that represents all the pharmacies in Washington state. And they thought there's some pharmacies already doing the right thing in this state. And I think some of them go like, well, let's just go with the rulemaking so that they have some sort of say in what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, so what, what happens in the rulemaking process is there's several different steps. Um, and, um, those of you who are already part of my legislative email list, I sent out some slides that the Washington Board of Pharmacy put together. Um, I'm not going to show all the slides because there's a lot of jargon in there, but I'm just going to try an overview for everyone, um, what that process looks like. So um, it starts out with somebody initiating it. And I just, you know, a minute ago said, you know, it could be a court order, the the governor, a a state law. Um, It could be a change in professional standards, a change in technology, anything like that, where they, the board says, you know, we really need to either update or create new rules. So that can start the process. So uh, when they, when they start this, then they have to, um, and this is all based in Washington, but almost every state is similar. So they usually have to file some paperwork to let um, the uh, registrar in the state you know, the, the office that maintains all the statutes and laws, let them know that they're working on some um, changes or creating new rules and, you know, where it's going to fit in. They also have to um, do notices for public, public meetings, invite stakeholders to uh, workshops. Um, and in this case, the Washington Quality Assurance Commission, they said one of our first steps is going to be we're going to have a survey of all the pharmacists to see what they are already doing and what technology is already available. So there's usually a research portion and then a, a base, a, an initial cost analysis of like what this rulemaking process is, how much it's going to cost and how much the change in the rule is going to cost um, Sometimes there's like a small business impact statement and stuff like that. And then they'll have a basic draft. They'll, during that first phase, they'll come up with a basic draft of the rule. Um, so after they turn all that in, um, there's the second phase is the proposal phase. Uh, so this is where they really have um, a rulemaking workshop and the board takes all the information that they've had and gathered and um, they really hash it out. (laughs) And sometimes it takes more than one workshop to really get through how, you know, if it's a complex um, issue, which this issue I think is kind of complex because it does deal with new technology and anything dealing with translation, you know, there's a huge safety factor there, as we mentioned. So I think there is going to be probably multiple workshops in this case. Um, There's public hearings, the draft, then, you know, whatever draft they come up with, it's usually reviewed by the 
the program staff, usually multiple public comment periods uh, for both, you know, patients and pharmacies to give feedback. So then that's where they, they you know, hopefully they come up with the final, <laughs> final draft. And they'll turn it in to the registrar um, after everybody said yay. And if the registrar says, yes, this is all in legal format, it's great, then it'll go back, it'll be accepted, and then the public is notified that um, this new rule goes into effect in a certain amount of time, and then it goes into effect. And I think, and what I've seen in the other states is that you know, even after it goes into effect, the Board of Pharmacy tends to have a little bit of leeway in that initial stages, you know, answering questions and giving people, giving the pharmacies, um, you know, not, not finding them right away and stuff like that. But then after a while, <laughs> they'll start to be like, after the first year, like in Oregon, we're past the first year. So now they're starting to get warnings. Um, so we'll get some pharmacies here and there calling us and be like, oh, I got this letter and we need to take care of this problem right away. <laughs> so that and that rulemaking process, you know, depending on your state, like in Nevada, they the way that their state laws are is after rules are created, they go back to the legislature and there's a committee that says, yes, this rule is exactly what the law we were talking about. Uh, this is, they, they match. The rule matches what the law intended. And then it's approved. Um, not, I don't think every state has that last step there, but um, Assemblywoman Teresa Benez Thompson said, you know, Nevada specifically did that so that the legislators still had, you know, they had, it didn't leave their total control once it went to the administration. So um, they still got to make sure that their law got implemented correctly. Um, so that, again, in this case for there um, is a good thing because we were able to catch that loophole and send it back and be like, this needs to be clarified more so that um, people get served the best way possible. Charlotte, can I make a couple comments here? Yes, um, this would be great. So there's a few things that we're lucky about in Washington. Um, one is that our government, our state government, has got really good website and really good like system of you can sign up for alerts. And so to Judy's point about seeing what could be done in Washington, sometimes when I'm, like early on when I was trying to figure out what to do, because I couldn't see enough to write code anymore. I did some, some, I just like randomly went to state websites and if there's a sign up for email alerts and like, even if you're a student, it's worth going of some kind of discipline and just look through like what your department of health has that they'll send out email alerts. Like I believe Judy about the nurses get a lot of changes regularly because I just, I signed up for, I don't know what I signed up for, for the Department of Health. Mostly I read the subject line and delete, but like seeing what's going on is valuable. And it's also a way where we as blind people, you know, maybe we don't read the papers or, you know, we have our different info streams. Um, so kind of strategies about how to stay aware and follow an issue. Um, the other thing that's had to happen in the rulemaking process 
is um, um, early on when Zoom was released, it had many, many security issues. And so people chose other video conferencing platforms. And I forget which one is being used by the pharmacy commission, but we just had to flat out say to go forward as a reasonable accommodation we need to ask you to use Zoom because that's one that's accessible to blind people. Um, I think the other thing about that is investing the time to learn the tool because a, a different entity uses Microsoft Teams and so they have a different list of keyboard functions when you go to one of their meetings. So so that's a like detailed process piece that's important for the label process, but it might be something that's applicable for lots of people in different situations where you're early in your career and learning your way around. Um, but there, um, that's as much as I have to say about that. Thank you. Yeah. And that's a good point. Yeah. I was going to say nurse as a nurse, I get not kidding two or three emails daily from the nursing commission. <laughs> These are the rules we're making this week. These are the public, uh, talks we're going to have this is the discipline that's going on so depending on the commission they can be extremely active if they want to be and the pharmacy commission in this state here in washington has the leeway to make the rules and enforce the rules without having to go back to the legislature now the legislature could go ahead and create a law that then includes that piece that we want to report back and have that type of feedback loop, which would not be a bad idea. But certainly the Pharmacy Commission could be doing a lot more proactively than they have been. So I'm hopeful that once they get their survey done, um, that then we can move forward and start getting into the more meatier issue of what do these rules look like and what does the workshop look like and start doing that active work. Yeah, I mean, my sense with the Pharmacy Quality Assurance Commission in Washington was that there was just a lot of hesitancy about rural pharmacies having to accommodate um, very, very expensive solutions. And, um, you know, they want to be sensitive to that. So I think that's one of the biggest barriers right now. And, And I understand that. And there was one part at one point when they were talking about alternative languages that the Washington uh, Department of Health was going to assist with that with that um, acquisition of getting that technology for these rural pharmacies so that people were not left out. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some different pieces of how to do the language access piece. Like, um, to me, there's you want to deliver the content, you might want to deliver it in large print in Spanish, um, and so there's how do you put together pieces that will deliver good content? And the the I think this, the really the the geography is a really important issue that um, you know for medications you take all the time. It might make sense to say that the rules allow you to get your prescriptions by mail, so you don't have the transportation barrier, um, and you can get them in whatever format and maybe there's a like centralized way you do that. Um, And then the, the assuring the language quality piece. Um, One of the States we looked at the rules have something about um, waiver of liability for language quality issues. And 
that language just makes me nervous. I'm not a lawyer, but I think you want to you want to be able to ensure quality product. Um, and and so I think that's part of where for me the rulemaking is really important to to address the needs of both the blind people and the pharmacies in different parts of the state because we certainly have members in lots of parts of the lots all over Washington. Um, and and the other point being that we know there are blind or visually impaired people who are not a member of either blind consumer organization. And so I think promoting a policy that makes things easy for the pharmacist to do is really important to me. Yeah. And that waiver, I mean, that's been an issue in several different states because the pharmacies, if they hire a third party to do their translation, right. they they want the third party to be the liable one, not that, because they're yeah. relying on them for a good translation. So that yeah. has, that's, I think that's going to continuously come up because, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that there's ways to contract about that, but yeah, yeah, I as an interpreter, I sometimes get asked to certify that the patient has understood what I've said. And all I can ever say is I have act, interpreted accurately and completely to the best of my ability. If you think the patient hasn't understand, ask them a question and I will interpret it. So, um, so, but th- that's, I guess that's another way of saying it's important to understand the environment that all the different pieces of the environment, you know, we're blind people, we're intelligent we understand, we can understand all the things that go into this. Um, it's just that, you know, we can't read print and need rely a lot on audio cues. And so, um, but we're also functioning professionals and functioning parents or care, caregivers for elders. And so um, I think this is all very exciting and positive. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I remember in the testimony, um, Someone said, you know, one of the examples they gave was, you know, a woman who who immigrated and she spoke six different languages. Just English wasn't one of them. You could provide a label in any of these other six languages. That would be great. <laughs> um, you know, obviously a very highly educated person, but just not able to read English. So you know, it's we're gonna see that all the all the time. Lots of professionals who you know, if you're, if you're new, if you're an immigrant, a refugee, you just, you just need that extra assistance until you are proficient. So uh, there's one other situation I wanted to bring up and that's Tennessee. Uh, they just passed a audible, well, actually, <laughs> actually they just passed a law and it's for the blind and visually impaired uh, labeling. Uh, they had very detailed um legislation to begin with and then they came across an issue and so this might be something that happens in your state um, if you're an advocate and that was that the fiscal impact statement one of the things in Tennessee is that the state actually owns the pharmacies for 10 health um, in all but the metropolitan areas so only in the metropolitan area do they contract it out to bigger like you know CVS or something like that um, in all the rural areas, they own their own pharmacy. So when they were looking at this, they were like, well, what exactly is going to be the cost? And that fiscal impact statement became a barrier Ooh. because it looked like a big number to them. Because they were thinking, well, 
what are all the possible senior citizens that could have visual impairment? Like the number was just huge. And then we know that not really all those people are going to do it, but um, they had to assume that. So what they ended up doing is making an amendment. And the amendment was that the board of pharmacy would create the rules. So now the fiscal impact statement is just the cost of paying the board members to do the rulemaking. And everybody could agree on that cost and and passing that law. Uh, So then the law passed quite easily after that. So it was just the, the, the amendment was the board of pharmacy shall utilize rulemaking authority granted in this section to promulgate all necessary rules and regulations to ensure that an individual who is blind, visually impaired, or otherwise print disabled have appropriate access to prescription labels, bag tags, and medical guides. So um, they will be just starting their um, rulemaking process. And that's really, that one sentence is really all that the Board of Pharmacy has to go on. But it was really positive uh, feedback from 10 Health and the pharmacists that were calling us for more information during this process because they were excited like that they were going to be able to offer this to their patients and I think you know a lot of pharmacists are happy like if they do see patients that are struggling and they finally see a solution uh, that's one of the things that we love in Envision America is being able to be the solution provider you know because you know until the last 20 years we haven't had this available we haven't had a real solution for those who don't read Braille. And, and this audible label does that. So, you know, if you're, if you're working on legislation, this might be something to think about is instead of having very specific legislation to make it just be general, like the board of pharmacy will do this, but, you know, you had to really kind of weigh and balance out what your state is like and which one, because if your board of pharmacy is the kind that's going to like, I don't know, it's kind of railroad through the process and not really provide a solution with the rules they make, then you probably want your legislation to be very specific. But, you know, if because of politics, fiscal reports and stuff like that, it's not really being specific is going to be overwhelming in the political um, process, then maybe a more general board will create rules might work better for you. So these are all kinds of things I have to assess as you're looking at your political environment in your state and, you know, devising your, your, um, your plan of what you're going to do, whether you want to pursue legislation or just go straight to the board. Charlotte. Pros and cons of both. Yeah. Charlotte, I'm looking at the time and I'm wondering if we want to ask if there, whether there are any questions. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, I don't think, I think I covered everything that was in my notes um, because we talked about the unintended loophole in Nevada. We talked about, or oh, the only thing I didn't mention was organs. Um, then how necessary it is to kind of keep babysitting. Like even if you get a law passed, you need to keep very diligent, diligent through that rulemaking process um, because those loopholes can happen. You know, Oregon, they passed and everything, but now that it's being implemented, the, the nursing organization is realizing there's not really adequate signage. Like some of the pharmacies have these teeny tiny little signs 
And they're like, you know, we should have had in the rules, like this big sign is required with all the languages, like say like you can get your prescription in this language, in all the languages. So what they're doing is they're not going to add that to the rules, but they're going back to the board of pharmacy and saying, hey, can you create a poster that everybody can have access to that's appropriately sized and that kind of thing. So uh, you kind of have to keep babysitting that even after the rules are made. So it, it might not be done. You might realize the implementation uh, needs to be finessed as well. So, uh, I, so that was my last, my last thing. And yeah, let's open it up to questions. Uh, just raise your hand and then we'll, whoever best can answer it. So first up at the top of the list is Dora. Hi. Good morning or good afternoon from Reno, Nevada. Hi. Hi. Um, so I have a quick question because I was really paying attention. And Benita Thompson is my assembly rep. She's retiring. Oh, sad. Yeah. Somebody is taking her place. Um, and I'm so sorry. I was focusing on our bill here at the ACB. Um, it's AB 121 and it's accessible voting and it passed. So we were able to vote successfully and independently, you know, here. And um, I heard, I, I was kind of multitasking. So I heard something about the pharmacy. Um, is there, uh, what can I do? What can we do as ACB here chapter in Reno to make sure that, uh, you know, made this coming right now? It's in- uh, so so um, what happened is she did go to the legislative mm-hmm. review committee and tell them what the problem was. And she did approach the board, too, and say, you know, this needs to be clarified. So they all agreed. So it's going back to the board for clarification. Okay. Um, so I would say the only thing really to be done is if there's public comment sessions to comment, whether okay. you're happy with the the revised draft when it's ready. Okay. Um, so sort of like babysitting <laughs> and just making sure and maybe put yeah. in the uh, certain, you know, um, inches or the size of the signage too, to that. I don't think, um, I don't think Nevada's law actually said anything about signage. So Ooh, okay. I have to have that conversation. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll reach out to her before she, because right now it's interim committee, you know, yeah. how our, our system works. So yeah. I'll reach out to her and, and get the bill number and, and try and, and, and get that going. And thank oh, you so I, much. I appreciate I can, you. I can yeah. give you the bill number here. Oh, um, thank you. you are fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, 177. Is it SB or AB? No, AB 177. Okay, it was, cool. It was from the 2021 session. Right, last year. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate all of you. You're welcome. Diane would be next. Great. Diane. Yeah, hi, um, Charlotte. Nice talking to you again. Um, I have been working with um, someone in your organization named Caroline. Oh, she's great. (laughs) And she recently well, kind of recently sent me an email that my pharmacy, which is a mail order pharmacy, is going to start um, using, um, golly, why can't, why can't I think of the name? Script Talk. <laughs> and, um, but she told me that it might take several months 
for the contract um, to be finalized. And I'm just, <laughs> I, I guess I'm just wondering why it would take that long. Because <laughs> uh, it's, you know, because lawyers are involved. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's just, that's how it is. You know, like their team looks at it, makes tweaks, and then our team looks at it and makes tweaks and, you know, it's, do, do, can can you give any kind of like an average, um, you know, what it seems to usually take for those things to be resolved? Um, no, I, I have no idea because I'm not in the sales team and involved in that. So I really don't know. I usually just find out like after it's done. <laughs> oh, okay. All so, right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath to start receiving my prescriptions with those labels on the bottom. So yeah, yeah. It's gonna be so good. It's yeah. 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 Thank you very much. You're welcome. Sorry I couldn't be more helpful. <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. Okay, thank you. Uh I'm curious, is there any kind of labels that Sprit Talk can't read? I mean it can only read script talk labels. Thank you. So, um, because it's an RFID tag, so the pharmacy programs it with your label information. So the script talk can only read the script talk label. Uh, if you're referring to the ID mate, our barcode scanner, it can be programmed to read almost any barcode. Um, it might not be in our database, but you can program the scanner to read almost any barcode but not QR codes or RFID tags. So, and like, I'm going to be more, give you more information than you maybe even wanted. If you're a CVS customer and you get a spoken RX device, it will read spoken RX labels and script talk labels, but it doesn't go the other way around. Like we're, we don't have permission from CVS for script talk to read spoken RX. But we gave CVS permission for their spoken RX to read our labels. <laughs> so if you want to use both, you have the most versatility, get your device from CVS and then it'll read our labels and theirs. So, um, okay. All right, Jane. Um, can you explain more about the um, app? If I don't want to have, I know it's free, but. I don't want another device. I'd like to use the app to read my prescription labels. Is that yeah. possible? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Script Talk mobile app will read the Script Talk labels out loud to you. So you just download the app. And if you're not already signed up with a pharmacy, there's a find a pharmacy feature on there and you can find which pharmacy is closest to you. And then, you know, you just request from the pharmacy that they add Script Talk labels and then you can use the app to read it. Uh, the CVS uh, app, you have to like go to pharmacy and then to Spoken RX. So you have to like navigate like three different levels, but theirs works the same way as ours. And do you guys do like continuous glue? Oh, that's a different story. If we're prescribed continuous glucose monitors, you guys have instructions for that too, or is that a different? Uh, that would be dependent on how much information your pharmacist put onto the label 
as far as the directions for using it, having used a continuous glucose monitor, I think I would want more instructions than what could fit on a label. <laughs> um, you definitely probably want to get trained by the manufacturer for that. Yeah, I think it's actually useful to hear all these different questions because right now in Washington, the rulemaking is only about outpatient prescription labeling and something like a continuous glucose monitor is a medical device. So there's absolutely better need for um, accessibility and use of medical devices. And I know ACB has some legislative initiatives about it. Yes. Um, but it's it's definitely another thing to keep track of and work together with there's ACB diabetics and other people who I, I don't know, but I hope they're following some of this because we all need to work together. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of overlap in, in our legislative efforts. So, yeah. And you are clear on hands right now. Okay. Yeah, if anybody else has questions, we have plenty of time. Uh, there's no question too big or too small for us to answer. <laughs> well, Charlotte, I'm think- well, I was thinking while there's a little bit of a gap for questions, uh, when you were talking about writing legislation, and sometimes it might just be one sentence, there was one thing that popped up in my mind that actually started to happen with our legislation that we had to change. When, they- when we put in language talking about making labels accessible for visually impaired, print impaired, the initial language actually said the pharmacy commission may create rules. And there's a big difference between they may do something and they will do something. It's a very legal thing. And so you always want your legislation to say will, because that's the forceful thing, because I may go outside today as opposed to I will go outside today, if that helps anybody understand it better. That's a more declarative thing. And that's very important when you're doing legislation. Yeah. Aditya, do you have anything to add as far as like things that you guys uh, took into consideration when you were drafting legislation? Oh, so much. Um, I feel like every, every sentence of that bill was something that had to be fought for, <laughs> really. Um, uh, like I think at one point uh, we asked for 15 languages. Our our three main goal was was supposed to get at least at least access to 15 languages, um, have the translation be on the bottle, and have the translation available upon participation requests uh, for the language access portion of it at least. Um, and each one of those um, requests were um, I guess that those were our like non-negotiables. Like if that was on in the bill, then we wouldn't support it. And I think at one point the bill the bill was amended to say um, to remove the patient request portion to remove the uh, patient the label had to be on the bottled portion and then they changed the language from the having to have fifteen languages to up to fifteen languages which is a, a, just a drastic difference <laughs> in what we were asking for um, and it was at that point that we kind of lobbied very heavily for that to be changed back or at least some portions of that or at least the up to to be removed because that just puts it's a, totally water a ceiling then. yeah yep yep so yeah it's very yeah we learned how important it was to very carefully read the language and have you know met as many people as, as we could just read it and make sure that, that it, the intent is really what is what we want, want it to be 
I just want to briefly ask, because um, health equity is just such a big thing uh, for ACB, in, in, as Doreen mentioned, like in a lot of different stages, what other things are you guys uh, advocating for in your organization? Yeah, so um, the way our organization works is we are, we, um, while well, we recruit members of our team, uh, we recruit students, uh, we kind of have a meeting with them on a one-on-one to kind of see what are their motivations um, what are they passionate about and see if that kind of fits into one of the team teams that we do have currently have. I know in Washington, at least we, our teams are um, harm reduction, uh, language access, environmental justice, um, and childcare. And um, if they don't, if they don't really fit that mold um, there, you know, also, we also welcome having new teams created. So I think at one point we had a, a team to, for experiencing people experiencing homelessness, things like that. <laughs> Great. Mm-hmm. All right. Good to know. All right. We have two more hands. All right. Casey, you may. <laughs> You're up. Yeah. Um, this has to do with. We're going to change contracts in January. We have express scripts for mail order. Now they want to go to Optimum RX. Uh, what is Envision America doing with these big mail order companies? Are they keeping track or are they are these companies? Implementing um, accessible prescription labels as they change contracts with these unions and Blue Cross. Um, so on, on our end, we only know what the patient tells us, but we do work with both of those companies. So you know, when you get transferred over to the other one, just simply ask for whichever label accommodation you've been using, and they can get you set up. Or you can let us know, and we can send an email to the new provider. And, and, you know, just try and make it as seamless as possible. Yeah, that's actually a really good illustration of the, you still are going to have to follow the issue because um, insurance provide. it's good to know um, that Envision works with both providers, both that Casey mentioned, but it is definitely the situation where if your insurance provider changes, they might need to be reminded that, they have an obligation to provide labels in accessible formats. In yeah. all of the major the major uh, mail orders that mail throughout the United States, because of Oregon and Nevada's laws, they all offer dual language and accessible, you know, talking prescription labels now because of those two states passing that law. So boom, cool. boom for everyone else. Uh, let's okay. take Janet's question before we get finished or get pushed off here. <laughs> Um, I live in California, and I apologize, I joined late. I just got some talking prescription labels and from Rite Aid Pharmacy, and they said they were something called Smarty. And all it is is it tells me to take it 24 hours a day in the name, nothing else. That is not our product. I'm sorry that you were given that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so that's what it is. It's That's like, really disappointing. That's one of those where... Yeah, that's one of those where I, as advocacy committee in Washington, you know, when I get a situation like that, first you have to talk to, you know, whoever your first point of contact is, and then you might have to go up the food chain. And um, I, I think I think California Council of the Blind probably has a good advocacy committee who can help steer you around that. But that that um, okay, I'm not going to mince words. That sounds ridiculous. 
Um, yeah, it it was, it, and it was very hard to get the pharmacy to to do it in the first place, and then they mm-hmm. came up with this. Yeah, I haven't but heard is it. The, is yeah. it the law here now, or what? Or is it? Th- no, there isn't one in California, actually. Okay, so they don't. I'd love to work with you guys on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This yeah. one, this one's uh, definitely. And their dual language law is like. Eh anyway too it's it's really 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 basic well and in regards to Rite Aid in particular that was the pharmacy that gave me the big pushback five years ago when I lost my vision and um, this is the second attempt that I'm aware of on their part to do a pretty half-baked solution as opposed to a real solution and when they finally offered me a solution five years ago it was here. We're going to we're going to give you the patient barcodes that you the patient put on your own bottles, and then you'll take it <laughs> off the bottle, put it on the next one, and then our reader may be able to read it. And the reader wasn't working well. Yeah. So yeah, I would uh, definitely talk to your advocacy committee, push back mm-hmm. to Rite Aid, and honestly consider changing pharmacies that are more accessible. If you have yeah. a choice, if you have a choice, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes what matters is what can you get to easily in your neighborhood. And so Correct. we do, Correct. I mean, Rite Aid does offer script talk, but it really only works well in the East coast because they're milling everything out of their um, New York. So, 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 so script talk is what you guys are talking about here. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, that's, that's the company I work for, but the laws don't say you have to use script talk. It just says you have to do something. Yeah. Well, what this thing actually is, it's some kind of medical, uh, it's a reminder. And they didn't tell me that. And I keep like, what's that noise? I keep hearing, I thought my (laughs) furnace filter was ringing, you know? (laughs) And so I've got these two different 24-hour prescription labels that keep ringing at different times of the day. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, the bottle's ringing. Because I didn't even, you know, I just absolutely insane they set the alarm and didn't even tell me you know two different times for 24-hour things oh geez anyway thank you you're welcome oh and we have lynn do you have time to take lynn's call um anyway i'm also on the legislative and advocacy committee in washington state but i wanted to say about legislative language if judy and dory don't mind that the word that what we um used in alaska for our voting access bill in 2002 was and also for the mobility bill in 1998 was shall it's shall is a much better word than may and she's absolutely right may is kind of well if we want to shall is really mandating them to change the law so that's what i wanted to say thank you yeah shall's a good one i've, I've seen a lot of drafts with that so and i just want to give a final plug if you have more questions about accessible labeling legislation language access go to staysaferx.org. It's a blog that I contribute to. We have, uh, you know, it's a continuing blog. So anytime there's any news, any new legislation, anything like that, um, I'll post it there. There's also amazing resources, a list of all the legislation passed um, in every different state. Uh, So you can look at all the draft languages. There's links to all the draft languages. There's... um, draft language there is uh research there's lists links to the standards um and best practices and all kinds of really good stuff there so again staysaferx.org 
is where I'm going to point you to for, you know, for lots of information. And of course, you can always call me at Envision America, uh, 1-800-890-1180. Or you can email me, sglass at envisionamerica.com. And so uh, anybody else want to give their contact information if people want to reach out to you? Go ahead, Aditya. Sorry, I was going to say, I, please, I'm, please reach out to me. I, I have my email. Is it possible? Do, I, do you want me to say it out loud? Or Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please, please say mm-hmm. it out loud. Yeah, so uh, my email is a.vegaraju, uh, V for Victor, E-G-A-R-A-J-U dot, uh, at wsu.edu. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And and my email is d-o-r-e-n-e-f-c at gmail.com, F like in Frank. Um, yeah. Okay. And this is Judy, and my email is j-e-i-brown726 at gmail.com. All right. Great. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining me. I think this was an amazing conversation. I'm glad we have it recorded, and people can refer back to it as often as necessary to inspire them on their legislative journey. 